Good morning and welcome to West. My name is Andrea Smith. I am the pastor here. We send a warm welcome to each of you here and those of you worshiping with us online. This morning, we are looking at the last of the monsters that lurk in the dark. We have been doing a message series on the seven deadly sins and today is the final monster that we're going to be looking at. So this morning, I want you to settle down in your seats because I have a message that I think is going to rivet you. You will leave church today and you will brag that I am your pastor because today I am going to talk about me. I'm going to talk about I. I'm going to talk about what I like, what I think, what I know, what I want, and what I see. Sometimes in ministry, sometimes about this often, I like to talk about you, but really today, it is all about me. Today we are for real looking at the last of the seven deadly sins that we are going to talk about. And today we are going to talk about pride. We are not going to talk all about me because you would be mortified and bored to tears and that would be the most narcissistic thing ever. However, uh, we did that just a few minutes ago and then sang the song, You're So Vain, to drive home a point about the deadly sin of pride. We've been referring to these as monsters that lurk in the dark because the seven deadly sins, they originated back in the third, fourth centuries from a monk in a monastery. And he discovered that there were these thoughts that would just go through his mind that would come in between his being at one with the love of God. Gluttony, lust, wrath, greed, envy, pride, and so today, as we look at the one that is often known to be the most deadly, pride, I wanted to make fun of it just a little because it is uncomfortable. Probably this sermon, I hope, I guess, by the time that I'm finished, we're all just a little uncomfortable because it is something we all suffer from. It is one of those monsters that lurk in the dark. And if we aren't careful, we end up living out of our pride instead of living out of humility, which is the opposite of pride and love. I will be using illustrations today that are personal examples because anytime we're doing things like 
looking this deeply into ourselves. I don't like pointing at other people and saying, did you see how prideful they were? So yes, the illustrations today are about me, only to show you that I struggle with this. I never ever want you guys to put me up on some kind of pedestal because I'm the, the preacher or the pastor. I don't deal with these things, I do. And we all do. So we realize and we recognize that we're on a journey and that each day we have an opportunity to live and try to overcome the these things that get in the way of us experiencing the love of God. I experienced my pride on Friday night at the football game at Mooresville High School. It was senior night. Scott and I are the parents of a senior, and they recognized the fall sports. Lane ran cross country this year, and it was parent night. Now, I am not a have you ever heard of a helicopter parent, you know, a parent that sort of lurks over their daughter or son and makes sure that everything's taken care of? I can barely remember like where my car keys are and my debit card. So therefore, I do not, I'm not a good helicopter parent. So Lane has to tell me where she wants me to be, when she wants me to be there and what she needs from me at that time. And I wasn't like that when she was smaller. That sounds like I really bite as a parent. I was not that bad when they were little, but as they've grown up, my brain has gone. So she told me, you know, Friday night's parent night. That's all I needed to know until later on in the day when I'm like, hey, you know, what time do you need us to be there? And she said 645. Well, if you know me, you know that I like to, you know, really fine tune time. And so I knew from two years ago when Andrew walked on senior night at cross country night that there is a 15 minute window. I should never know about windows that exist in time. And so Scott and I were on our way. I knew, I knew that if it started, if she told me I needed to be there at 645, that's when we started to line up. And that at seven o'clock, that's when we would walk across the field. That's what happened two years ago. It was still in my frame of reference. I knew there was a 15 minute window. So we stopped and bought Lane flowers. I thought, what a great thing. You know, what a pat myself on the back mom kind of thing to do. And, you know, we were doing okay with time. We were maybe going to be three minutes late for the beginning of the lineup. <laughs> no. The phone rang. We were at the intersection of Target and Williamson Road, and Lane's like, where are you? And Scott said, well, we're at such and such. And she goes, oh, okay. Now, she did not tell us at that time, which I don't blame her. I probably wouldn't have told me either. You're probably going to be pushing it. And so we continued to drive. We parked. We started walking down to the, the field, and Scott's phone rings again. We're like, I don't know how many yards, 100 yards, 200 yards from the line of students. And I hear Elaine say to Scott through the phone, I am in two more people. They're going to call my name. Scott turns and looks at me and says, we've got to run. <laughs> if you're laughing, it's because you know I don't run. All three of the Smiths run, there's no hope. There's no hope. I should have just said, you go without me. But no, luckily I had on flat shoes, which within itself is, you know, uncommon. And so I took off running. 
It was not a pretty sight. Scott's legs are twice the length of mine, so you know he has left me in the dust. And so we get down the rest of the hill, we round the corner, we get in the gate there at the field house, and just picture this, there's this huge line of band people, of football players, of whatever the other sport was, and then the cross country people, and they're all in this long line, and I see Lane's pretty little blonde head there with this very tall, handsome football player on her arm. She had recruited an escort, a smart girl, <laughs> knowing how her parents, no, no, that's not, this is not a Scott thing, how Andrea tends to deal with Tom. Scott's always early, much less on time. So I see her with this football player, Scott sprinting around. For some reason, I'm still carrying the flowers. And there's this small, innocent little boy standing there, yes. And public apology to whoever this young man was. I am so sorry that I pelted you and probably caused you some physical damage. Scott skirts around him, literally. I did not. Not only am I not a runner, I am not agile. Flexibility is not my gift, so bam! And then the most beautiful Superman flight you could ever see is what happened, and I landed face down on the Mooresville track. I have injuries to prove it. My rotator cuff hurt like the dickens all day yesterday, so I've kept ice on it forever. The flowers go flying. And I still can see Lane walking with the football player, turning around. And there's her mother lying face down on the track. I just wanted to just crawl into the turf. I just wanted to be absorbed. I didn't want anybody to know I existed. Not because I was worried that my daughter may never forgive me because I've missed walking her on the field for her senior night. Because I was more worried about like the Thornsberries who go to West, the Warners who were there, the Binkleys. There's several Mooresville families that go to these football games. And all I can worry about is who has seen me faceplant here on the track and Scott McElroy, my hero of the evening, comes over because it hurt. I mean, I was running at full Andrea speed. <laughs> he comes over and like gets me up. And he picks up the flowers and some Scott a Smith, I think, stopped probably mortified and picked up my cell phone, which went flying as well. And Scott's like, are you okay? Go. And I looked at him, I'm like, hmm. And he goes, go. I'm like, here, you keep the flowers. And he's like, I'm not going to keep your flowers. Take the flowers and go. So then Scott and I just walked on the field looking like this. Oh, I was mortified. I was mortified. And not even really for the right reasons. I mean, I was sad that I had disappointed Lane, you know, once again. And embarrassed that I would have embarrassed her but I was embarrassed for me. My pride 
got in the way. I mean, I was not even going to carry the flowers anymore because I felt like I looked stupid. Do you hear how many times I said the word I in that sentence? That is pride. And we all suffer from it. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at like what it is and then how do we combat that monster that lurks in the dark? What do we do when it starts creeping into our lives? And then what is the opposite? And how do we embrace humility? And there's, there's one question really that we can all ask ourselves every time we feel like we're struggling with it and that just sort of keeps us grounded and balanced. And I believe that it is when we combat this monster that we can have a life that is full of joy and peace and not one full of insecurity and low self-esteem. So to get started, I want us to do something fun. I want you to be interactive. I'm gonna share with you five statements. Now these statements, I want you to clap if you think it is an example of good pride. There are good ways to be prideful, and then there are sinful ways to be prideful. And remember, sin, the definition of sin, hamartia, the definition of sin is anything that gets in the way of us and God. So this morning, I really want you to only think about yourself. Don't analyze your friend's pride, your spouse's pride, your boyfriend's pride, girlfriend's pride, kid's pride. It's only about you. But there's good ways of being prideful, and then there's some not so good ways. And it all comes back to this issue of motive. Why do we do what we do? So we're gonna show you five statements. I'm gonna walk you through them, and I want you to clap if you think it is an example of good, non-sinful pride. Clap if it's good pride. The first one. It's 6 a.m., and I just finished running my third mile of the day. Love my life. Clap if you think this is good pride. All right, the next one. Way to go, Brawley Middle Odyssey of the Mind team for winning regionals. States, here we come. All right, good, that one made it through the halfway mark. All right, next. I have prepared a whole month of healthy, delicious meals, five loads of laundry, three lunches packed, dropped kids off in car rider line, volunteered in their classroom for one hour, supper in the crock pot, manicure finished, time for Dr. Phil, go me. <laughs> a few of you think that's good pride, all right. Next one. Grandbabies are coming over today, going to spoil them rotten, can't wait. And the last one, fifth cruise in three months, hashtag love a tan, hashtag awesome husband, hashtag blackjack, here I come, hashtag margarita, yes please. <laughs> None of you clapped at that one, you may want to. It's all about motive. And you know, so some of those statements that we had just now, it depends on why we say them. Like the one about the Brawley team winning states. 
or going to states for winning the odyssey of the mind, if you're telling another parent of another student at another middle school who their team came in last place, if you're telling that person that statement so that you can feel better about yourself or your son or your daughter, that's pride in a bad way. But if you're putting it on social media because you know your child looks at social media and you want to congratulate them, guess what? That's not pride. It's all about why we do what we do. Our kids need to know that we're proud of them. And right or wrong, good or bad, in today's world, so much of their lives are lived on social media. So a good way of being proud of a child is to say, so proud. Like yesterday, Lake Norman's drama club team, they won and are going to states for their drama. I mean, that's something to be proud of. The Apostle Paul in scripture, he would write the churches that he helped start and he would say, I am so proud of you. Now, can it look braggy? Yes, but not if your motive is pure. Now, the, you know, five cruises in three months, love a tan, love a margarita, love some blackjack. Uh, why in the world would you be saying that to motivate other people? That's more of a guilt kind of thing. That's, you are correct. There's really not any way I can justify making that a proudful statement. When we put on Facebook, you know, at 6 a.m., I've just ran my fifth mile and I've conquered the day. If we're doing that, because that's our mode of accountability and we have friends that are on social media that hold us accountable for our exercise program, that's good. If we're putting it out there to brag on ourselves, it is not. Lots of folks that I know, pastors even, they will just say, checked in at Iron Tribe Fitness or First class of the week, kickboxing, CrossFit. That's okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Those are not prideful things. It's when we put things out there to make other people feel lesser than. Why do we do that? Because we want to make ourselves feel better. We suffer from this thing called low self-esteem. Think back to the, the great commandment that Jesus said, you know, when they were asking him, what, what's the greatest of all the 600 plus laws? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, understanding, and love your neighbor. But Jesus did not stop there. He said, as Reverend Christy Dillon preached a sermon on this so many years ago, and it was so powerful, Jesus did not stop. He said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. We have a problem loving ourselves. Frankly, that's why I was mortified because I was lying on the field. I, I, I knew how stupid I looked. 
And you know, I don't need any voices in the back of my head telling me how stupid I look or feel or am because that's one of the things, that's one of the demons that I battle. And we let those, those thoughts, those demons, those bad things in the back of our mind decrease who we are. But Jesus said, love God with all you've got and then love one another as you love yourself. So guess what? We are called to love ourselves. But there's balance. We're not called to love ourselves so much that we put down other people. We have to keep it all in check. The scripture lesson that I wanted to read with, to you this morning is taken from Proverbs chapter 16. It starts with verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of lowly spirit among the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Those who are attentive to this matter will prosper and happy are those who trust in the Lord. So what's that scripture got to do with anything? Happier those who trust in the Lord. The bottom line is it really shouldn't matter what anybody else thinks. Our motive for everything, absolutely everything that we do should be one word, love. You're either doing it because you love someone else you're doing it because you love who you have been created to be, to live out as a child of a loving God? Or we do it basically and frankly because we do love God. And remember, God is love. That drives everything. It can drive everything and it should drive everything. The definition of pride, the Greek definition, is this word called hubris. It means excessive self-confidence. I want you to look at that for just a minute, ingrain it in your brain. Hubris is the word for pride. Excessive self-confidence. Why do we have excessive self-confidence? I mean, really. Is it because we're trying to compensate for something else? Usually, yes. There are stories after stories in the scripture of people who have given in to pride. King David, it was sort of his downfall. All the great leaders in the Old Testament, some of the kings, Uzziah, they suffered from this. They, they would have a little bit of success and then they would start thinking about, you know what, I've, I've got this. And then their self-confidence would grow and then they'd start living out of that self-confidence and acting out of the, that self-confidence and then their pride would grow and grow and grow and then what would drive their actions? Pride, not humility. Jesus, 
embodied the absence of pride. Now think about Jesus for just a minute. He was self-confident enough that all the people that were out there, you know, asking him these questions and trying to trip him up, all the people who were suffering from spiritual pride, the religious leaders who were telling him that, you know, hey, you're not following our religious rules, so you're not doing it the way you're supposed to be. Jesus was self-confident enough to stand in what he knew which was God is love and God has called us to love God and love one another. So when these people started accusing him of things, he didn't grow uh, insecure. He didn't sit around and go, oh my gosh, are they gonna be mad at me if I do A, B, or C? Or are they not gonna follow me anymore if I do this, this, this? No, he was self-confident. He stood in what he believed. That is a healthy dose of self-confidence. But then he would go on and always make himself be last. In fact, I wanted to share with you one of the stories that he told And I wanted to share with you why he told it. I think this is so interesting. It's in the gospel of Luke. He's talking with the disciples and those who had been following him. And listen to how this this part in the scripture starts. When Jesus noticed how the guest at the meal chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. So the story that I'm getting ready to read to you Why did Jesus tell it? Why did he say it? Because he noticed what they were doing. He noticed where they were picking the seat. And then he goes on to tell this this story. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who has invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. After we finish this message series today, for the next two weeks, the series that we're gonna do is called Rich Living. How do we live lives that are full and have so much joy and richness? Here's the answer. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Another example of pride. Do you know how much time I took on Friday getting ready to go stand in front of all the people that I knew? I mean, I did the hair, the makeup, tried to look, you know, sort of cute. Because, you know, Lane is cute and I didn't, you know, want to embarrass her. But I didn't want to embarrass me, you know, standing out there in front of all those people. I'm going to tell you something. When you do a face plant on a track at like, you know, negative one miles an hour... The cuteness is gone. I scuffed my brand new boots. My jeans are very worn in the knee now. And I was bleeding. 
Those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Why do we deserve the parking place closest to the door? Because there's probably somebody else that needs it. Why do we walk by trash and not bend over and pick it up? Because it's somebody else's job? What motivates what we do? We can live out being humble people in every single thing that we do. It's why I refuse for us to hire like a cleaning service for the office. You know, I do have a really cool job. Being your pastor is honestly, I mean, I love this. I do believe that I've been given a rare opportunity to live out a dream in ministry. This is fun, 99.9% of the time. Charge conference reports for me are not fun. But the rest of ministry, I love ministry. And it's easy for pastors, for me, you know, the lights and the stage and the laughter and, you know, the nice emails, you know, you really have changed in my life, you know, that kind of stuff. You know what could happen? My head could get this big. So, every other week I clean the commode <laughs> in the office. I do, for real. Because it reminds me that I am no better than anybody else. I don't care how many nice emails I get. I don't care how I feel on the stage. It's not about me. If you want to be humbled, clean the toilet <laughs> for people you don't even know. My last illustration this morning was uh, probably the biggest pride lesson that the Holy Spirit ever taught me and it's one I hold on to and that motivates me ever since. Remember, it's all about motive, okay? It's all about motive. And here's that anchor question that I mentioned at the beginning. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why do I do what I do? That's what we have to ask ourselves anytime we get ready to do something to see if is it about pride or is it really about love? Why do I do what I do? I had been at Williamson's Chapel not very long, actually. I think I'd probably only preached two times. And true associate pastors, you preach the Sunday after Christmas when no one comes to church. And by the way, the Sunday after Christmas for Wes, we're all gonna worship online that day. So I'll go on and plant that seed in your mind. But associate pastors typically preach the Sunday after Christmas and the Sunday after Easter. And so that's about all I had preached at Williamson's Chapel. And then that was fine. I didn't feel called to preach. And so I was all good with that. But on Saturday night, about 11.15, my cell phone rang. And it was the senior pastor at the time, Terry Moore. And he was sharing with me that his wife was having to go to the ER because she had some, um, some health issues that needed to be attended to. And could I please make Sunday happen? Now, I know that you guys may think that we keep like sermons tucked away in our back pockets. I do not. I write sermons based on the, the situation and the people that I'm in ministry with. So it just feels canned to me to like write something for 
people I don't even know who's gonna listen. So I had nothing, nothing. Terry said, just do a hymn sing. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe y'all would be happy. But the thoughts of showing up at 8.15 and singing hymns, and then 9.30, the 9.30 worship service and singing hymns, and then the 11 o'clock worship service and singing hymns, I wasn't sure I'd be able to make it through that, much less the people. I didn't want them to think, oh, Andrea, she's not good enough, you know, uh, to pull something out of her hat, so we're just gonna sing hymns all day. My pride believed that I needed to bring something else to the people. Now, at that point in this whole situation, my pride was a good thing. I believe when you guys get up on Sunday morning and you either tune in online or in person and you're willing to come and listen, then, then you deserve our best. You deserve my best. I better not be winging this on Sunday morning. You deserve more than that. This is an opportunity for us to come together and hear what we think, maybe I hope and pray that God is sharing with me to share with you so we can all take just one more step closer to God in our journey. So this is a big deal. Preaching is a big deal. And, and I didn't want to just go sing some hymns. Surely God could speak to me from 11 o'clock at night until 8 o'clock the next morning and give me some wisdom, some something to say. So I began praying. I got up really early the next morning, went to the office and, and started reading the lectionary text to see if God spoke to me through any of those. And, and there was a parable that jumped out at me. And so I prayed, I meditated, I read some commentaries. And then I said, all right, God, here we go. We don't have anything to lose. And, and usually you, you guys are always full of grace. I mean, you, I hope know that we preachers bring you our best so I preached the 815 service, and afterward, you know, you stand and everybody shakes your hand, and they were like, well, that was good, that was good. Now, this is probably the first or second time that they, many of them had ever heard me preach. Then the 930 service, which was by far, at the time, the biggest service that Williamson's Chapel had, and, you know, did the same sermon, it's always better the second time. After it was over, I didn't get greeted by anybody, but you know what? It felt okay. Like I either know they're going really, really bad and I just want to crawl under the stage or I feel peace. Now I'm 50-50 like right now, but I'm just telling you that. <laughs> so at the 930 service, you know, I did the best I could and, and I felt some peace. And then by 11 o'clock, by the time it was done, I was dog tired. But I thought, okay, God, I gave you my best. I gave you my best. So I'm driving home, and then when everything else is quiet, you know, that's when those monsters that lurk in the dark start rearing their ugly head. I'm driving home, I'm going home by myself. I've got a whole afternoon in front of me. Scott was taking the kids to Camp Tacoa, and they had to be up there by the time I'd get finished at church. So I was gonna go home and just have the whole day. And back then, that was a rarity. So I was feeling good. And I was also feeling good because you know what? I didn't crash and burn that morning. Like I did make some logical sense. The things that I said, they fit. And people told me that my words mattered. That's always my hope and my prayer. 
that my words matter. So I had about 20 minutes to ponder how my words mattered. That's when we get in trouble because I started pondering me. I started pondering my opportunity. I started thinking about, you know, that really was okay. You know what? I did that in like record time. And did you see those people? They were laughing and they were listening. By the time I turned onto Jupiter Court, and yes, we do live on Jupiter. Uh, by the time I turned into Jupiter Court, I felt good about me. Hmm. <laughs> Remember that little verse, uh, the proud will be humbled and the humbled will be exalted. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's funny how things work out. Remember, Scott's not home. The kids are not home. I walk in, and we had have a dog, and Scooter would stay in one of our side rooms, and I went to let him out. I noticed an interesting smell. I had on my heels and my nice dress and all that from church. I hadn't had time to change, and I opened the bedroom door, and out comes Scooter covered in feces. The aroma, the stench was like enough to take your breath. And you know, he's happy because I'm home. So he's taking off across the floor, dog poop going everywhere. I get him to go outside. See, this is before lunch, so you're okay. Uh, I get him to go outside. I go get the hose, I hold him. I'm like spraying him down. Stuff's flying everywhere. It's just the nastiest thing. I'm gagging. And I heard this voice in the back of my mind say, who's the big shot now, big girl? (laughs) I tell you that to tell you that the truth. You know, I, I had an opportunity to do something, to use my gifts to make a difference in the world, and I did, and it went okay. But then I let my gifts go to my head. My motive came, became not about helping other people encounter Christ, but it, came a, it became about me looking good and sounding good in the church thinking that I was all that. I will never, ever, ever forget that moment of standing out there and washing the dog poop off of myself and hearing that voice in the back of my head say, who's the big shot now? Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Pick up the trash. Give somebody else the closer parking space. Give sacrificially of your resources. Always exalt other people. I promise, I promise when we live that way, it is us who is changed. Let us pray. Gracious God, will you reveal to each of us, including me, all the ways that we let pride get in our way of seeing the love and the good and the God that lives in every human being that walks this earth. All humanity possesses you. 
And it is our calling, our responsibility to follow you. And just like Jesus knelt down and washed the feet, the nasty feet of those who followed him, that's what you call each of us to do. God, use us. Take away our pride and let us exalt you. In Christ's name we pray. After Jesus came up out of the water, the voice of the Holy Spirit said, You are my beloved. In you I am pleased. The same words that were uttered then are uttered for each of us here today. We don't have to suffer from low self-esteem or low self-confidence. We are loved by a child. We are loved as a child of God. Now embrace that. And go live out that love in all that we do. And pride will never get the best of us. Go in the peace and the hope and the love and the assurance of knowing that we all are children of God. Amen.